into, you, into your hands, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may take your seats. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the music as we come into God's presence with singing and into his gates and coming into his courts with praise. Uh, if you'll uh, look at the word cloud, I want to be reminding you that we are at a church called New Covenant, but what makes us special is that we are a Bible-believing church. And inside the Bible, I pray that yours is read R-E-A-D, not just R-E-D like mine. I pray that you are a student of the Word, even as we've been uh, focused on Sunday school, trying to become uh, able to rightly handle the Word of God. Uh, the Inside the Scriptures, you're going to find the Gospel. And the Gospel is what drives us. That's why our theme is to communicate the Gospel by word, by deed, and with passion. And that's what we're doing this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles, I want us to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired scripture. Uh, and this is a topical message, so we're looking at a few texts of scripture. I want to begin with uh, the prayer vigil text, which is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. These texts are all under the banner of prayer. All under the banner of prayer. And this one comes in the first chapter of Isaiah, even before Isaiah 6, when he falls down before the God and he says, I'm unworthy. Uh, and then you get that famous thing, here, is, here am I, Lord, use me. But before that, you have God speaking in chapter 1. Come now, God says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you'll do more reading around Isaiah chapter 1, you're going to find how interesting it is that the God of all glory, the God who created the heavens and the earth, says, come, come now, come together with me and reason with me. Let's talk about things. Now, when you talk to God about things, I guarantee that you cannot do a snow job. You know, you cannot fake him out. And that's why he quickly says, though you have sins that are so obvious, they're like the scarlet thread. They are like a, uh, like a I was going to say, uh, some kind of a birthmark that's just in front of you. Though, you. though it be so obvious, he says, I can make them as white as snow. This call to come and reason with God is a call to prayer. I wanted to go to our another, another text in Exodus chapter 18. Um, uh, Think, and, and that's what we were bringing up last week. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. When you think about some of these other texts of Scripture, we talk to God about God. Um, and Jude is the text I wanted to look at next. Jude chapter 1 verse 20, where he ends up, this has been our theme overarching the whole concept of prayer. When we finished up the study of the book of Jude chapter 1 verse 20, he says, but you beloved... Because of all the controversy, because of the creepers that snuck in, because of all of the people that had tried to undermine and pollute the gospel, he says, but you, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, there's three things. Building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You're going to find that when you're built up in the most holy faith, when you study the scriptures, then you'll be led to have a conversation by means of the Holy Spirit, to pray in the Holy Spirit, which will keep yourself in the love of God. Because what Romans 8 talks about is that the, the Spirit whispers to our spirit that we are the children of God. In fact, in Romans 8, he says, he calls it Abba, Father. 
It'd be like the, um, the idea of a little baby looking at seeing mommy and daddy and cooing. There is something beautiful about it. I saw the picture today of Shali and William as they became, they got to see their grandparent, their grandchild for the first time this morning. Uh, everybody is very happy at the healthy birth. Um, but, it, but when you think about the Holy Spirit giving that confirmation that you're safe, Abba, Father, you're not my enemy, you're not my condemnation, you are my Father and you love me. That's from Jude, and that's why we, want to, we launched into this, this, uh, this text. In Romans 8, if I just read it for you in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Groanings that are too deep for words. There's a few other texts that I want to highlight as we're uh, bringing these things together, weaving them for you. And on Veterans Day, how appropriate for 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sins, their wicked ways, what do you expect? You expect that you will hear from heaven. You will expect that God, the great God of the universe, will do something about it. And the scripture actually said that he will, um, he will hear from heaven and he will forgive sin and he will bring healing to the brokenness of this world or to this land, and particularly to the land of the people who are praying. It is so wonderful when you realize all of these things coming together for good. Now, I want to begin the sermon today by asking a simple question. What is the difference between a moment of silence and the offering of a brief prayer? Just recently, I had a father-son trip, and we got to go see uh, the uh, Atlanta Falcons lose to the Carolina Panthers. Um, and we were uh, in Carolina, which, praise the Lord, is a little closer to home than going all the way to Atlanta. But it is miserable when the game is over and you've been defeated. And if you're wearing the wrong colors, everybody looks at you with disdain. But when the other team wins and they have that triumphal spirit, it's really neat. But before the game, there was a moment of silence. How cool it is when everybody gets quiet. But, but what are they doing? That's why I wanted you to think for a moment, to compare between a moment of silence and a brief prayer. The one is merely an act of the memory. Let's be still and remember a little bit like we're doing with the remembering of the Veterans Day. The other is an action of mediation. Theologians would call it intercession. It is the solicitation uh, for people to, the, to God. In other words, there is a, a, a maneuver that gets us to someone who can do something rather than just remember about something. The first one, a moment of silence, it may be respectful, appropriate, and it may be much considered and preferred above nothing, but how wonderful to have prayer. You see, prayer is an action rather than just a, a stopping from action. Um, when you pray, you actually can move towards resolution. How different it would be if at the large sporting events they would ask for prayer. Can you imagine over the big loudspeaker, let us pray! we'd probably all be a little afraid. What are they going to pray for? Let's pray that this team wins this against that team. I mean, it really creates some interesting scenarios for sure. 
But people are not inclined to go to God in prayer. And the concern that I have as I'm preaching this series is that many of us in the church are not so quick to go to the Lord in prayer. As a side note, it was joyful that at the end of the game, I'm looking there as, as the tropical storm brands were coming through and we were soaked to the bone. And I'm wondering, why did we drive down here? It was cool to watch people from both teams gather in the middle of the field. Went down on a knee. And it wasn't to punt the ball. It wasn't to down the ball. It was to pray. It was really beautiful. I kind of enjoyed that moment quite a bit. But for us, do we have that propensity to, to pray for things? Even now, I believe that the idea of praying is is something that most pundits would laugh at. It's been removed from the public sector, from the public schools. Kid, kids are not encouraged to pray anymore. They may be encouraged to have a quiet time or something like that, but they don't know much about God to even know what to pray for or who to pray to, even in church. When you get one of those emails that says to pray for this, or if you take that little insert inside your bulletin today, your take home, and you look at it, uh, what are you prone to do? You're prone to read it. At least I assume that at least half of us read it. Okay? And then I'm, I'm hoping that other people that actually read it, that's them, that they will take that into their prayer, uh, to their war room, to use the movie analogy, that they'll take it to their place where they pray and take these things to the Lord either as praises or as requests but we don't pray. I think many of us are just inclined to say, eh, that's, that's nice. And we learn about facts, and it's almost like a purified gossip chain. We learn a little bit more about this or about that person, about this struggle or about that blessing, but really do we take them to the Lord in prayer? You've heard the song, take it to the Lord in prayer. Even it's easy to sing, probably than it is to actually do it, to take these things to the Lord in prayer. Back in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon was very wise. God had blessed him because he asked for wisdom instead of the other things he had. God gave him wisdom. And in Proverbs 3, he writes it down for us. He says that we ought to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own thoughts, our own understandings, our own plans, our own agendas. But in all our ways, you know what? acknowledge him do you know what acknowledging him is it's prayer talk to god about all these things this kind of prayer is so beautiful that that we shouldn't take it for granted jesus brought this stuff up in in matthew 7 in one of the sermons that he had just given at the early part of the sermon on the mount in chapter 7 verse 7 through 11 jesus was looking at the brother disciples and he says ask ask and it'll be given to you and you know the rest of it. It's almost the song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, but seek and you will find, knock, and it'll be opened. And so the whole illustration that Jesus is saying that, hey, people, this is appropriate. You should be engaged in asking. And so he gives some explanation to it. For whoever, and this is verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone instead? Or if, if your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, you secular people, you human beings, if you are still the ones that are tainted with evil, 
you know how to give good gifts to your own children, then Jesus comes back and he says, how much more? And you can see the comparison from the earthly father to the heavenly father. How much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who do what? Who ask. Today we'll be looking at that particular aspect of prayer. You've been hearing us uh, with the drumbeat week after week after week. It almost seemed like we were trying to guilt you into even giving us prayer requests. Remember how the box was empty and we only had about a few people participating? And those people looked very spiritual, very impressive, that they had their prayer cards in three weeks before we were having the prayer vigil. Some of those, some of those prayers might have been three weeks too old. You know what I mean? It, it, there's no righteousness in it, but we were challenging you to consider what would you talk to God about? On the prayer card, it talks about the ACTS. You've heard those, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Uh, I've been, as a pastor, made an alliteration of it. The one has to do with adoration, yes. The next one has to do with agreement. The next one has to do with uh, asking. And the last one we'll pick up on Thanksgiving Sunday next week is about um, and, uh, appreciation. Now, when you look at these, I wanted you to be able to see a big difference. Adoring God is talking to God about God. And, and I can tell you that from a percentage-wise of the Lord's Prayer, uh, it is the dominant part of the prayer. If you have six or seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, how many of them are devoted to asking for things for your well-being? One out of the six or seven? How many of them are talking about your heart's condition or about the status of whether you're righteous or not righteous or whether you have emotions? You're going to find only one. So five of the seven are devoted to talking to God about God. It's really quite amazing. And I think many of us don't think, don't see the value of that kind of prayer. Now, the second kind of prayer, after we talked about adoring God, was agreeing with God. Agreeing with God was, was also the word is confession. Confession. Con means with and faith. It's with faith or it's with the same eyes that God has. As Sean brought out last week, it is, it is agreeing with God. I love that one illustration that, uh, that you used about um, that you agree with your wife that you love her. It's a beautiful way of saying that you're in agreement. But when you're talking about confession, when you're coming into God's presence, when you agree with God about you, what are you actually saying? God, I'm not that good. God, I've messed up. And as we did the Ten Commandments, you had the same feeling. You know, you can be bold because you can repeat them. You've heard them. But when you apply them to your heart and you compare yourself, you're going to say, man, there's been other gods in my life. There's been things that have been more important to me. My tongue has not said truthful things all the time. I've been holding back things from, from God. I've been, uh, I've been wanting what everybody else has. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. Now, when you realize that this agreeing with God about ourselves is actually quite beautiful because when we confess our sins, when we actually get in, in harmony with what God says about us, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, or as Isaiah's verse, to wash them white as snow instead of leaving them crimson in front of our face. The third thing, though, is about the ask. I believe that most of us would flip everything over and most of our prayers are about asking. Whenever we gather together as a group to pray and we take prayer requests, what do we usually do? How many of you actually offer prayers of adoration? Most of the time, what we end up doing is asking for things 
that are in this world. And, and, and that's why I find it very interesting. I think this sermon is the easiest for all of you. You can, you can ask for everything. Two weeks ago, I, as I was standing in the pulpit, I was trying to make a, 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 an obvious explanation that if you ask for the lottery ticket numbers, you know, that's probably not a good ask. Okay? I was trying to think of what's a safe thing to bring up, and then I realized that there actually was somebody in my dad's church that prayed for the lottery numbers. Yeah, you, it was before y'all's time up in my dad's church. But I mean, I was just thinking, you know, what can I actually say that doesn't uh, touch on somebody? Because we've all done it. And many times we've even justified what we've asked for because we think, well, it'll be good. You know, we can, we can fix all these things. You know, if, if you get into it, um, this whole idea about asking, well, I don't even have to spend any time on it because you guys know what to ask for. Anything and everything. But the way I was phrasing it is that you're asking for things in relation to this broken world. You see, when you confess your sins, you're dealing with your own soul, with your own heart. But when you're asking for something beyond that, you're talking about your experience in this world. Now, those of you that have just come through the elections, you know, you got to wear the little button that said you voted, uh, and then you had to wait a week to find out who actually is in the Senate and who's running this. We still don't know for sure who's going to run the House of Representatives. It's really quite interesting, but many of you put the energy out and you are asking for a good result. Okay? Some people were very fervent in that prayer. And others, as I've found out, even from some of the people that are my medical friends, uh, they ended up saying, well, I just don't pay attention to any of that. Almost like there's uh, ignorance is bliss. I wanted to get to the, the point today, though, is why do we ask? There's three points that, that come out to play. The ask uh, does a couple of things. If you have your fourth point supplement, you can see it there. The ask exposes our faith or our lack of faith in God. When, when, when you start looking at the things you ask God for uh, or the things that you don't ask God for, it exposes something about you. We already know that God owns the cattle on the thousand hills so he can meet every need that ever was asked. The only thing God can't do is fail, as the song says. He can do anything but fail. And, and technically from seminary, he, he can't build a rock that he can't carry. You know, those are superfluous arguments. But God is able to do all his holy will. When we talk about asking for things in prayer, it reveals more about you than it does about him. It reveals or it exposes your lack of faith or it exposes your great faith. Secondly, we're going to get into the ask reveals your awareness or lack of awareness of God's will on this broken earth. If you are asking for things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, it kind of makes you wonder, what do you know about the kingdom of God? The third thing that we'll touch on is when we, our ask discloses our perceived role in God's plan and our place in this world. When you get more specific about what you're asking, you're going to be revealing whether you know why you're still here. Or as Mordecai had said to Esther, for such a time as this. Let me quickly walk through these before we come to the communion table. The first ask is exposing our faith or our lack of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you can see it clearly that, that in the faith chapter, he says, hey, if you're going to come to God, you must believe that God exists. Let me tell you right up front, 
If you don't believe that God exists, I can guarantee you you're not going to pray very well. That's why in a previous sermon I was telling about the Maverick movie, uh, you know, the Top Gun, and how that uh, when Maverick was in a, in, a, in a bind, when he was in a sticky place, uh, he would say, help me, Goose, help me, Goose, talk to me. You know, and it's, it's almost a mockery, but, but he doesn't, he's revealing that he's not trusting in God. He's looking somewhere else. The exposing of our faith or our lack of faith. If you, if you had a problem with alcohol or drugs and you go to one of those rehabs, what is one of the first things they try to tell you? Is that you need to have a higher power. Now, they, they, it's supposed to be from the big book that higher power is a phrase that they use to try not to offend the people that don't know God very well. And they can say your higher power can be a tree or it can be a coin or it can be this or that. We all know that it can't be. But the exercise of a higher power is to say that you are not God, that you are not in the driver's seat, that you don't control the universe. And so I want to be able to tell you that when you ask God for something, you are acknowledging that you're not God. And it's really a beautiful thing, but it does often reveal uh, whether our, we're close to God or not close to God. It reveals whether we see God in things or whether we think that God is at a distance. I, can, I already quoted for you from Psalm 51 this morning where David said, create in me a clean heart. But if you look at the previous verse before that, you're going to find out that David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. Now, if you knew what he's talking about, David was a person just like us. David had a sexual desire he should have been out on the battlefield taking care of business, what kings normally do. And instead, he stayed back, and his eyes wandered, and he, and he caught a, a pretty, pretty girl doing some things on the rooftop. And when his attention was driven there instead of where it should have been, the next thing you know, he lusted. He broke the, uh, the, the 10th commandment, and then he ended up breaking the 7th commandment, and, uh, which already broke the 1st commandment. You know, all of the, you see how it all starts to, clump, to, to, to collapse. David actually sinned against Uriah, his best friend, or his great friend. He actually took this woman who was happily married, and he brings her into the palace, and then he causes all of his, his guards around him to have to fake it, and to hide it, and to do all this clandestine activity, and, and to, to put out a, a persona that everything was okay, while he did his diabolical, sinful activity. But when David confesses his sin, he doesn't confess it to Uriah, because Uriah's already dead. And he doesn't even confess it to the people around him. When he finally gets convicted of his sin, he is demonstrating his faith in God. He has the eyes of faith to see God. God, against you and you only have I done these things. And he recognized that God is that close. God has seen it all. He didn't need Fox News or CNN to give him a report. God actually sent Nathan the prophet and helped to tell a story where David was caught in his lies. Oh, it's amazing. Psalm 19, you can see David had eyes to see God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. He says, when I look around this universe, when he was at En Gedi or when he was going through the, the, the hills of Judea or when he was a little boy at, as, at, in the fields of Bethlehem, when, when you realize that David was seeing the beauty of nature, he knew about God. He had the eyes of faith. In Psalm 22, David also 
knew that God was close when he was going through some major struggles. You probably attribute these words to Jesus, but they're David's. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was David who had that kind of intimacy with God. You see, when you pray and you start asking for things, you reveal whether you really have that with God or whether you don't. The second point that I want to draw your attention to is the ask reveals our awareness or our lack of awareness of God's will. And, and if you look to, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, you can see that right in the Lord's Prayer, you get this phrase, um, after he says, our Father in heaven, he ends up bringing out this point that is the, which is like the nail that goes deep. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. When Jesus taught the disciples, he said, look, you get to talk to God about all the things you want to bring up, all the things that you want to ask for, but don't forget, I have an, an agenda. I have a will. I have a purpose in, in time. And let me tell you, it's going to be done. And he says, when you talk to God about all the things you want, make sure you remember that you start off by saying, God, what you want is most important. Thy will be done. And then he gives that, Jesus said, hey, if you knew how heaven works, <laughs> let me tell you, you would say, just like in heaven, let it be here on earth, in my life, in my world. It's really beautiful to be aware of the, of the will of God. Now, James, in chapter 5, brings up an interesting thing. James is one of the first books written in the New Testament era. He was writing to the scattered people, people who were struggling. 30 years after Jesus had died and rose and ascended to heaven, they're all wondering, is he coming back? He hasn't come back. The governments are getting worse. We have to run. We have to, in order for us to live, we have to leave our homes. We have to leave it and go somewhere else, which, by the way, was God's purpose. He took the gospel to the ends of the earth by making people uncomfortable, using the Deuteronomy 18 principle. Uh, my mentor pastor used to tell me this. He said, do you know how to get an eagle out of a nest? How do you get the little eaglet out of the nest? What? Yeah, there's a pushing of it of, of out, but, but, it, but the, the mother and the father eagle do something a little bit more um, poignant. When they fly around, they end up bringing back the food to help the little eagle fly or to get strong, but eventually they bring... Uh, they bring thistles, they bring thorns, they bring things that are uncomfortable. And when the, when the nest becomes so uncomfortable, the little bird, which is now a bigger bird, says, hey, I need to get out. And that's when the nudging comes, where the mother bird usually is poking them out. And the little bird is more willing to get out than ever before because it's uncomfortable to stay there. And then the bird learns how to fall before the bird learns how to fly. And that's where you get, I will, you know, uh, that, that he'll raise you up on eagle's wings because that great eagle is at a great height. And part of the reason they're so high is that when the bird learns to fly, to finally get wind in their wings, the mother bird or the father bird has to catch them and bring them back up so that they can learn how to fly. But that idea of that uncomfortableness, God will also often take you to a place of uncomfortableness where you can do nothing else but fall. But he doesn't let you drop. 
And this is one of the things in prayer. If you understand the will of God, God is constantly trying to shake us from our will to say it properly. God, you're our Father. Your will be done. And then you ask. The third thing about this is our asking discloses our perceived role or our place in God's world. Now, I've often told you that we believe that this world is a broken place. I wouldn't have to take you very far in Scripture to be able to validate that. From the very first time that Adam and Eve messed up, this world has been broken. You know, before those verses, it was very good. After those verses, it's not so very good. Now, it's not as bad as it could be. We do believe in total depravity, that there's sin everywhere, but it's not as bad as it could be. You know, you may be married to somebody that doesn't live up to your expectations, but guess what? lives up to some of them. At least I'm hoping you're not going to be married if they're too dangerous to be with. But, but my point is, is that by God's grace, we actually live in this broken world pretty well. How many of you, when we come to Thanksgiving, are just going to be uh, like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? Mm, everything is just miserable. Everything is so bad. Everything is just awful. You can't even name one thing to, you know... We would be surprised if you could name one thing, uh, you know, what the Lord has done for you. I mean, because that's the way some people are going through this world, as if there's nothing to rejoice over. When you realize that the world is broken, then when you pray and you're asking for things, and you're asking for God's will to be done, then it's also revealing, God, what do you want me to be doing here? And when you ask, you're going to be... Uh, you're going to be making it known, you're going to be discovering, you're going to be disclosing what your purpose in the body of Christ is. Did God just make you a Christian and just leave you outside of his body? The answer is no. If you are a Christian, you have been brought into the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, and you and I are a part of this body, whether we're fingers or toes or whether we're ankles or whether we're knuckles or whether we're hips or whether we're muscles or whether we're sinew or, or whether we're pancreases or whether we're livers. Every time I get into those, it makes me trigger of prayer requests. And that, in some ways, the body of Christ is the same. We are the body of Christ. And if you're damaged, or if you're broken, or if you're not able to do what you're supposed to be doing, if that part of the body is not working right, or if there is something that is poisoned, and so you, that, 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 that whole system of the body is messed up, the Bible says that if one part hurts, we all hurt. And so when you end up praying, you disclose where you fit in to God's plan in this world. Ephesians chapter 4 is very, very interesting. Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles open, you can see it. But in chapter 4, verse 18, Ephesians 4, 18, he ends up saying, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. You see, when you don't know where you belong, you're just like a hardened person. You're not going to get on the bus that God's driving, to use Henry Blackaby's illustration. You're going to be stuck leaning on your own understanding. You're going to try to make the best of your situation. You're going to end up taking the secular mentality that if the eggs are broken, you just make an omelet. If the lemons are, 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 are squished, then you just make lemonade. See, that's all doing it on your own effort, trying to make the best of a bad situation. But when you understand that God has a place for you in this world, then when you ask in prayer, because you're a child of God, you're a part of the body of Christ, then, you, then you're going to be affirming 
and disclosing to yourself what matters. If you'll, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is where I wanted to make this point from. Ephesians chapter 1. It is very, very powerful when you understand, beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, just to digest this little prayer, Paul is, is writing to the people in Ephesus, and it's like writing to the people in Lewis or in coastal Sussex. And when he writes, he says, Hey, you need to, you know the Father? He has already given you every good and perfect gift that you need. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You can't even think of one that he hasn't blessed you with. And then he says in verse 4, he chose us, you and me, even before the world was made, even before he said, let there be, he knew you. He chose us before the foundations of the world that not only are you supposed to live in this world, but that you have a place in this world, that you should be holy and blameless before him in love. So he's saying, hey, I know about you. And there is a purpose in your life, a plan, that you would be holy and blameless one day to stand before God, which we all know is going to be when the role is called up yonder. But then he says in verse 5, he also predetermined or predestined us to be the children of God. We're adopted into the family of God. We're sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus is in us, then God sees us as his children. You can read about that in John chapter 1, 14. To as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. You're adopted into the family of God, in verse 5 there, uh, according to the purpose. Did you see the end of that? According to the purpose of, let me see, it's up there, of God's will. Now, when you are starting to digest this and say, hey, Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but thine be done, because you're the God in heaven. And, and then he says here, when, I'm, when Paul is setting the example in prayer, he says God has a purpose for us, and this is according to his will. We have a place in the body, we have things to be doing, and it's all to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with in the beloved, in Christ. And it's also there that we have the redemption through his blood. When Jesus died on the cross, we have the forgiveness of sins uh, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, he favors us even with the forgiveness of sins. He lavishes this upon us. In other words, he gives us a, not just a little bit. He overwhelms you. Your cup is full, and uh, let me quote from Psalm 23, and running over. He lavishes these things on us. In wisdom and in insight, he makes known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, sometimes we can't figure out how it works, but we end up being like, like um, if I could finish up the, uh, the phrase in Genesis 50, when Joseph says, hey, Joseph ends up saying, you meant it for evil, but God's will brought it together for good. We don't get to often see that until we've lived a little bit of time. But praise God when you can look back, which we will do next week on Thanksgiving Sunday, and I'm going to ask you to look over the year from, from 12 months, from the last time we did this to now, I'm going to ask you, what's different? And do you see some of these blessings? Has the mystery of God's will been made known to you? And all of this is according to his purpose that he set forth when he sent Jesus Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite the things to him things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. He's going to connect us one day, even though we're earthly beings, he's going to take us to glory and we're going to experience what nobody else could even imagine, the things that he's prepared for us.
Now, there's the prayer goes on a little bit further, but if you look in verse 15 and 16, you can see how he brings it together. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. In other words, these people have faith in God. These people have a relationship with God. He says, um, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you when I pray. You see, this is what it's all about. We are not like the world. We are, we are in Christ. And I want to encourage you to pray. Um, we're going to come to the Lord's table in a moment. What do you pray for? In the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to pray that God will set apart these elements from the common use to the, to the, to the use that he has ordained. What are we doing? In that prayer, we're acknowledging that this is a, this is a sacred meal. This is a covenantal thing. This causes us to talk to God about God, about his covenant, and how we entered into that covenant. Not because we did anything, because he did enter into it. You can read all about that when he entered into covenant with Abraham and how it's been confirmed and affirmed again and again, even to the point where in Jeremiah he says that there's a new covenant. And Jesus repeats that in the Lord's Supper, Luke 22. When we pray that God will set apart these common things for sacred use, what are we saying? We're saying, God, you're here. You actually can do things. And that fulfills Hebrews 11:6. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. We actually believe that God can do something. It's really cool. And so when we pray these things, we're acknowledging God. We have faith. We're acknowledging that God is working in us because we're the children of God. And then you're finding out, well, God strengthen us. And the picture of this nourishment is like a meal. Even though it's not a snack and it's very tiny and it's not going to fill your stomach for lunch, it is a spiritual meal that is symbolic of the nourishment that he gives us to be able to be strengthened for what he has for us to do. We're living in the latter days. Are you ready for the next lap? Is it going to be easy? Some of you, maybe I think of my brother Jack. He's in his 80s and he can still run a 5K and he can still get awards and all that. It's pretty amazing. He runs the race that's set before him. I want to encourage all of you to run the spiritual race that's set before you. Don't be, don't be breaking the rules as it says in First Timothy, or Second Timothy. You know, if you're going to be an athlete, you run the race and you stay by the rules. You, you do what God's called you to do and you're going to get over that finish line. You're going to finish well. And if you notice, I didn't say get to the finish line. I'm talking about running the next lap. God has given us another lap to run. Run it heartily. Whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. May this nourishment be given to you to strengthen your faith. May you not be pulled this way or this way, to the right or to the left. May you not be half in and half out. It's really beautiful when you stay focused and your faith in God is you've earnestly contend for it, as Jude said. Your awareness of God's will is that, hey, if you're not sure what it is, you hang around those who know more of it, and then they'll help you to get involved in the will of God. And then the last thing there is about where your place. Why are you here right now? When you go to prayer during this fourth hour of the prayer vigil, you're going to be hearing some things that people are asking for. And, and logically, so what? So-and-so has this issue and they put it on a piece of paper. How in the world does that do anything? When you understand that you're taking that request 
to the one who has the power to do all his holy will. He has the power to, to as it says, as I quoted from Hebrews 11:6, when you come to him, you believe that he is able to do something about it. When we fervently take our prayers, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. I can tell you that it's been a struggle this year praying for a lot of things. Why hasn't God, why hasn't he done these things? This green liver that's on this table, it's been left up in front of the church. It's not a piece of garbage, it's a trigger point. God, can you work on that young man named Matt? Can you give him a healthy body and give him that renewed life in Christ? There's a lot of other things that we could be praying for. If you sat down with me and Tracy, I could tell you this, 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 this. It, we could fill up the whole box. We could do a whole nother run of 600 cards. When I'm praying for you guys, how many of you have a perfect life? And even if things are almost as perfect like this newlywed couple over there, almost newlywed couple, okay? All the things that have to work together in order finally for you to say I do and you to say I do. It's really interesting to see this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. We have to have this and we have to plan that. We have to buy this. We have to. It's like they're almost so tired. But I think it's worth it. Okay. When you even have wonderful things in your life, you always are still asking, 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 asking. Does God answer those asks? This is the solution. It's his will that gets done, not yours and mine. And you will find that when you ask according to his will, he gives it to you. The struggle, I want his will to be mine. I imagine that's what you want too. God, just do it my way. As we pray, you end up my dad one of my, my dad's quotes as a preacher for 50-some years. He says, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes the person who prays. So always be praying. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Don't be anxious for anything. Talk to him about it. See what his will is and see where you fit into that will. And it's amazing that when you can submit to God's agenda, then the things that you start asking for, they get yeses and not waits and certainly not no's. When you ask according to his will, you will have it. See, ushers will come forward. I lead in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are gathered in this place today. We're about to have communion. The reason we have communion is because our Heavenly Father, you have ordained that we should be nourished. As often as we do this, we're to be fortified in the faith. Lord, there have been people throughout the 2,000 years who have tried to figure this out even better. When you set apart these elements from the common use to the sacred use, some folks have thought that this turns into Jesus' body and blood, and others have said, absolutely not. This doesn't have some magical powers, but that your presence is literally here. It's more than just a memorial. It's more than just a moment of silence. Lord, we do pray that this special meal is for us.
to be able to be strengthened, as it says in Hebrews, to, to strengthen the feeble knees, to be able to, as Isaiah says, to be able to rise up and have the wings like an eagle, to be able to, to walk and not faint, to be able to run and not grow weary. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen us in the faith so that even as we're asking of this of you right now, that you will give it because this is according to your perfect will. Lord, we're, we're supposed to set a, a fence around this table. We're supposed to encourage those who are not Christians to not partake. Because the Bible, in the Bible, you declare, O oh God, that if we eat and drink unworthily, we bring damnation to ourselves. And even some were weak and sickly, and some even had died because they did not discern this meal, this spiritual meal. Lord, I pray that that the fencing around this table would keep us uh, in a serious mindset. This table is not just for uh, believe. It is, excuse me, it is not just for anyone that's in church. It is for anyone who is in Christ. Lord, this table is not for perfect people. It is for forgiven people. It is for those who have already been to the cross and not just symbolically putting a piece of paper in the, in the thing to dissolve, but have found that your, their sins are washed away at Calvary's cross. Lord, I pray that you will bless us with this sweet communion in Jesus' name.